0: Tragedy at the Pakistan Stock Exchange, while the parish enjoys an unprecedented duo in the barons' top 25 CEO list. Meanwhile, the EU are considering a consolidated tip once again, and European markets push back on the London lazy binary of shorter equity trading times. My name is Patrick L Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast. The Parish was rocked this week as seven people were killed, including four gunmen who attacked the Pakistan Stock Exchange. Fortunately, no exchange staff were injured, but a series of security personnel died in a gunfight across the foyer of the exchange. The Balakistan Liberation Army, which targets Chinese interests in Pakistan in pursuit of its ideals of a better deal for the oil and gas interests of Balakistan, was responsible for the attack, admitting in various social media posts. Nonetheless, that didn't stop the Pakistani Prime Minister saying he had no doubt that India was behind the stock exchange attack. Hardly the most encouraging angle for, well, public relations, given the current state of Sino-Indian relations, and indeed the ever-festering relationship between India and Pakistan. Nonetheless, we stand behind anyone who tries a terrorist attack on our parish. To that end, once again, our condolences to all those innocently murdered by these terrorists. Back in the happier world of the parish's business week, CCP 12, the global clearinghouse organisation, released an excellent study. CCP's again demonstrate strong resilience in times of crisis. The laser-like focus of CCP 12 on speaking up for the clearing parishioners after their worth has been proven once again goes well alongside the European each CCP's regional precision, having helped Croatia's EU presidency to achieve a sensible EU 27 solution. The tragedy is we have no global body representing exchanges willing or able to get the message out about what the parish does every day, financing companies and ensuring investment cohesion. One industry association doing great work remains FESE, the Federation of European Security Exchanges. They've called out recent efforts by a narrow interest group of stock brokers and traders in London who want to see 90 minutes lopped off the London trading day. European exchanges oppose shorter stock trading day sought by London firms, and on very logical basis, too. It's good to see Faise taking a consistent and holistic worldview in comparison to the London Cash Equity Flat Earth Society. Of course, we could do the whole equity trading market in a five-minute auction daily, but the tricky part is all the other moving parts of the complex financial infrastructure, Trying to keep that trading on only a five-minute auction would be both an issue and also seriously disadvantage both investors and indeed the companies trying to raise important investment capital. Of course, there's an easy solution for the London folk who are looking at a shorter working day. Split your jobs. There's more than sufficient for pretty much any cash market staffer to divide their job in two and still easily break minimum wage in the UK. The London Stock Exchange has had feedback from about 100 folks, as I recall, while maintaining a fairly non-committal overall position. Their absence as not a member of Phase A continues to isolate the group, which needs to rethink its PR, lobbying and interaction on various levels. Phase A are to be applauded for making a coherent stand where others have been narrow-minded or downright immature, with their self-interested calls for shortening trading hours, which would affect the financial infrastructure as a whole. Meanwhile, the European Union, they're proposing a single stock report to complete with London. Once again, the consolidated tape appears. And this is, of course, a great example of what competition does. And that's why an independent UK can help spark EU markets in the remaining 27 nations. Where a consolidated tape has escaped the EU for a decade and more, the lure of Brexit means there might be the blob will to actually make it happen. Better wildly late than never. Of course, this could all be resolved rapidly. BMLL Technologies already have a de facto consolidated tape running on behalf of the Plato Partnership. That could be operational across Europe by the time the EC even posits its latest discussion paper on September the 23rd. Cushing crisis news this week. Various issues, of course, the CME has been suffering from a marked decline in open interest. Who on earth would think that different corporates would seek to avoid trading in that market, given the sorts of suicidal spread lengths they had to go to in order to make rollover, or at least the risks they run of those sorts of spreads. However, in Russia, the Moscow Exchange, as a result of recent legal action, is now going to allow negative derivative prices from the 6th of July in selected products. Elsewhere, the Brexit negotiations rumble on, or at least they don't rumble at all, although Mrs Merkel is trying to get an extension so that we just can keep having lots of hot air until November in the Merkelian way. Nonetheless, it was a tale of two interesting contrasting announcements, while the European Union's uh, Michel Barnier, their chief negotiator, was, as always, calling the British financial market proposals unacceptable, aka they work for both parties and aren't therefore supplicant to the European Union. At the same time, Switzerland and the UK were announcing they will cooperate more closely on financial services, thus creating a perfect bridge between the two largest financial centres in the entirety of the European continent and its extended landmass to the island of the UK and Ireland. Over New Zealand, interesting there, they're going soup to nuts, joining the ranks of exchanges from the likes of NASDAQ to Zagreb, who endorse the concept of private funding all the way through public market funding. They've done a deal, New Zealand Stock Exchange, with Syndex, a local provider of a platform for private market funding. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. Regulators gave us one exciting piece of news this week. Too big to fail banks, mostly a thing of the past, say regulators. That was the headline in Reuters, and indeed the word mostly is highly likely to be stress-tested in the near future, whether we see a V-shaped recovery, a W-shaped recovery, or indeed no recovery at all. Two crises of the week. One of them was, of course, Wirecard. Everybody seems to be investigating Germany this week as a result of the total chaos The company Wirecard, the payments organisation, which had a $2 billion hole in its balance sheet, which seems to have been festering for some time. Hmm, interesting to reflect on what exactly was being done with the audit there. Well, Wirecard, they've embarrassed Baffin, the German securities regulator, who seemingly ignored what was going on and all they actually did was try to ban short selling in the stock. At the same time, the European Union has even awoken and decided they need to investigate just what the failings were within the German watchdog over the Wirecard collapse. Many other things spinning out from that whole Wirecard crisis. Over in Zimbabwe, they can't blame Wirecard, but they closed the stock exchange. The government's alleged conspiracy, all manner of crises. Ultimately, it looks as if, tragically, we're seeing the financial meltdown of the Zimbabwean state, as the Zimbabwean security forces have sidelined the government while the economy crashes, according to another headline. Overall, panicked investors have been running and protesting outside the bourse. This, of course, in Zimbabwe, which only a few weeks ago was touting the idea of an offshore foreign currency, Victoria Falls international exchange venture. Strikes me as fair to say this is now dead on arrival, as Zimbabwe appears to be descending into deeper chaos and the necessary trust for an international market is simply not in the current democratic environment. In deals news this week, the Australian Triple C, their antitrust merger entity, they are examining the LSE takeover of Refinitiv, hardly likely to be as toxic or dangerous to the deal as, of course, the recently announced European Union investigation into the same thing. One completed deal, Singapore Exchange are fully acquiring Bid FX advancing their global ambitions to offer end-to-end foreign exchange platforms, paid $128 to acquire the remaining 80% of BidFX. That, of course, was just after SIBO made their announcement that they're heading into the exchange platform business for Central Limit Order Book Foreign Exchange. The forex rush is finally on in the exchange industry. About a decade late, in my opinion, but at least it's happening. Two deals putatively being explored. Gale and Energy Combine, they're looking at buying a 26% stake in the newly launched Indian Gas Exchange, while the London Stock Exchange have entered talks to buy a stake, or perhaps all of Primary Bid, a company they have already been involved with in partnership. Primary Bid specializes on offering follow-on offers, something that's been hugely in vogue recently, as corporate balance sheets have been stretched during the course of lockdown and seeking additional funds. In new markets this week, Lex is a new property market. It's the latest to join Nasdaq's technology offering. They're going to revolutionize the real estate securities trading along with Nasdaq Marketplace services and indeed join a list of platforms in the same space. Cambodia are taking initial steps to develop a commodities and futures market thanks to a study being conducted on the feasibility of the market by Rui Feng Tianfu Investments from China. If you're looking for some reading now that lockdown is over and you've got a chance to perhaps sit socially isolated on a beach, well, COVID-19 is a killer. Can it kill your career or is that the impact of fintech destroying your business? It's a victory or death world of risk and opportunity. To understand how technology is affecting life and markets, there's a new book to help you. 20 years on from the excitement of the original fintech bestseller capital market revolution, it's time to look at some of those loose strands hanging around which need a spot of perspective, whether you are an exchange parishioner, a fintech professional, or anybody just trying to stay abreast of where technology is now driving investments and finance. Victory or death, blockchain cryptocurrency in the fintech world is an easy read explaining the differing and diverging role of banks and exchanges, explaining the winning business models of the new world order, and placing in perspective just what bitcoin, blockchain and cryptocurrency mean for markets. 70,000 words of pure play, P-L-Y pith, pacily discussing matters of moment, and revisiting the original trailblazing first fintech bestseller, Capital Market Revolution, which when published in 1999 proved, even if I say so myself, rather prescient. It's a binary world. Your career will sustain or collapse in the next stage of the digital world, hence the title Victory or Death, lest you need reminding of the exciting times for finance in which we are living. Victory or Death is published by DV Books and is distributed by Ingram Worldwide. Product news this week. Turkey facing the embarrassment that it actually might be downgraded from MSCI indexes that could push it down to a frontier market from emerging status. At the same time, we hear that Turkey is working to at least partially end their stock short selling ban. Oil news, we talked, of course, about the Cushing crisis for many weeks. Well, Waterborne is on. The oil pricing agencies Platts and Argus have launched new U.S. crude benchmarks. Waterborne is on, landlocked is off, due to the issues with WTI through the narrow lens of the CME's spread bet haven special contracts, which some say are being abandoned by risk transfer folks in droves. If nothing else, this ought to make it more difficult for the CME to continue spinning their specious double-think confusion about waterborne markets such as Brent, which sucked in some credulous analysts, it seems, in the wake of the CME's wholly self-inflicted negative pricing debacle. Indeed, the Gulf Times ran an interesting article this week. Who wants U.S. oil futures these days? Answer, fewer and fewer people, went the headline. There's a clear downturn, as indeed predicted in Exchange Invest and via this podcast in usage of the CME's aged 1983 West Texas Intermediate contract. That, of course, has led us, therefore, to S&P Global Platts' new waterborne USGC benchmark, as well as the Argus benchmark for growing the US crude oil hubs in and around the Gulf with waterborne solutions. As noted ages ago, when the CME were in the early flushes of denial, corporates tend to be unhappy about contracts that give them enormous basis hedging risk. The quick question now is how long, having dug this far, will CME stubbornly maintain their Cushing delusion that it is everybody else's fault but theirs that their contract is an outmoded agent for bottleneck enforcement. Down under in Australia, the ASX, they're going to launch five-year Australian Treasury Futures, while Deutsche Börse are studying revising their DAX membership rules in the wake of the wirecard fiasco, where the company went from index inclusion to bankruptcy, all in the course of one trading session. Exchange Invest is the daily must-read by the most influential figures operating the world's best markets. We invite you to join the exclusive group of Boris bosses and other C-suite executives who make Exchange Invest the exchange of information. Their daily business intelligence guide to markets the world over. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at 200 US dollars per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at ExchangeInvest.com or email me Patrick at DerivativesVision.com. Technology news this week led again by ASX. Well, multiple users have been urging the exchange to delay the blockchain product for many days. This is, of course, the blockchain product which they're looking at using for their clearing and settlement depository to replace the rather aged chess, which they've been milking for, wow, a quarter of a century or more by now. Let's face it, ASX have decided to change their CSD technology with a project which now seems to be a decentralised version of the LSE's tourist debacle. Thus, we had by the end of the week news from ASX that they're suddenly going to reset their date of implementation. April 2022 is the new go live for the blockchain-based chess replacement. Rumours on the street, that's George Street of course in the CBD in Sydney, were that this installation date is contingent on Germany's Berlin airport being completed and the launch of the controversial British HS2 rail link as part of a trifecta of delayed infrastructure products. Frankly, I don't think that's the truth of this project here. However, it was interesting that ASX, in true internal political politburo fashion, decided not to have the CEO roll out this latest delay announcement, but he chose instead to nominate his deputy CEO, Peter Hyam to make the latest announcement of the latest delay in the replacement of Chess, which of course has already had huge implications on throttling the bandwidth and the volume of the Australian Stock Exchange during the COVID-19 crisis. Bit of a worry in terms of some of the CFTC announcements this week. They've given futures exchanges the discretion to police technology glitches, difficulty is the regulation appears to be rather too vague, in my opinion. A catch-all which covers the regulators from criticism, but really fails to build a better market. I would note for now one statement from amongst the ranks of the commissioners of the CFTC. That's the dissenting statement of Commissioner Roston Benham regarding this electronic trading risk principles. And I quote, The first risk principle requires DCMs to adopt and implement rules to prevent, detect and mitigate market disruptions or system anomalies associated with electronic trading. None of the key terms in this principle are defined in the regulation or the preamble. DCMs are left with some clues, but they are not told precisely what a market disruption or system anomaly is. Perhaps most importantly, they are not told what it means for something to be reasonably designed to prevent these things. This lack of clarity continues through the other two new risk principles. And while the Commission provides some clues by stating that current practice may meet the new principles, it then goes on to say that future circumstances may require future actions by DCMs in order to comply with the principles. The worry is the CFTC look as analogue as the rest of the blob, though not arguably drafting better-considered regulations, and let's face it, can anybody recall a technology-related regulation from any entity, including CFTC, where we can look back and say, well, that just worked fine, whereas history is littered with the corollary, and indeed such ill-considered regulations from other bodies continue to haunt the likes of the US stock market through Reg NMS et al. One big migration news this week, IHS market there on a three-year data and infrastructure migration to AWS cloud. Regulation news this week, good news for the EBRD, the European Bank for the Reconstruction and Development. Ukraine's parliament have passed the EBRD-supported derivatives law. We can look forward to hopefully better derivatives markets in the near future in the Ukrainian Republic. People news this week was led by the fabulous announcement from Barron's. First of all, a footnote, it's a shame to see that after five consecutive years, Jeff Sprecker, the founder, CEO and chairman of the Intercontinental Exchange, has slipped off the list, but I'm sure we're going to see him there in the near future. It would have been difficult, after all, to justify three names from the market structure parish there. But plaudits, congratulations, sing it from the rafters. To the Nasdaq CEO, Adina Friedman, and MSCI, Chief Executive Henry Fernandez, on joining the 25 CEOs, lauded this year by the Barons Business Weekly as being the best CEOs in the United States of America. That's an incredibly competitive parish, and I applaud the fact that the parish itself is being richly rewarded for these excellent managerial actions. Meanwhile, hearty congratulations to Ivana Gazic, the tireless CEO of the Zagreb Stock Exchange, who's been named among the five finalists for the Emerging Europe Female Business Leader 2020. Over at DB1, Thomas Book becomes the new chairman of the management board of the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. Michael Peters becomes the new chief executive officer of Eurex in a large upheaval to the managing boards of the DB1 and Eurex side. Curiously, Andreas Preuss is still mentioned as deputy CEO of DB1 on the World Federation of Exchanges website, but I presume he's actually gone from DB1 as he seems to be absent in the admittedly somewhat ad hoc DB1 website. Over at LSE, farewell to David Warren, that will come on November 1st, as he will be replaced by the johnson Mathy CFO Annamites, taking up the same position in charge of the financial cudgels of the London Stock Exchange Group. One final story this week. Interesting upheaval in Australia. As we remember, JC Flowers, the private equity firm, they have an Antipodean footprint, which includes the local Australian stock market platform, ChiX Australia. Now, the chairman of ChiX Australia, David Morgan, the former Westpac boss, is in the running to bid for National Australia Bank's MLC Wealth Arm. That could be a huge, huge upheaval in the world of the buy side in Australia. And it's interesting to see JC Flowers looking to extend their antipodean footprint. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, I bid you all a great week in life and markets. Enjoy Independence Day today, if you're doing so in the United States of America, or indeed outside of its glorious shores. My name is Patrick L. Young. Thank you very much for listening to this, the 52nd Exchange Invest Weekly podcast. We'll be back next week.